You're listening to the Justin C. Gleason podcast. Please consider following, leaving a great review and rating, and supporting by giving on Cash App, PayPal, or Venmo at Justin C. Gleason. Podcasting is the future. podcast two years ago we established set out on a mission to bring the message of god bible and church through a podcast and it's been a wonderful two years i remember what i said that first episode the red tape has been cut the doors are open come on in and we have kept those doors open for you This podcast has become, I don't know else to say it other than just like personal property for a lot of people. It's like I I get some messages, hey, it's it's Friday at 9 a.m. I don't see a podcast up. Where is it? (laughs) It's like they've taken ownership of it, and I like that. I really do. This podcast has offered a lot of hope for people, uh, something to cling to, a stress reliever, a way of escape. And uh, especially for a lot of people that are just looking for something spiritual, something a little bit entertaining, (laughs) and something educational. After a long week at work or school, I guess you could call this edutainment. But it's been a a great two years, and I'm looking forward to what God is going to do here uh, this next year, Lord willing. And this is also, I've talked to you about this before, this is also a good time for me. It is my Holy Ghost anniversary. It is also my Holy Ghost anniversary. On January 29th, 1994, I was 11 years old. I've been seeking for the Holy Spirit with the sign of speaking in other tongues for about three years, actually. Praying for it, going to the altar for it, travailing for it, doing everything that I could. When I would pray for the Holy Ghost, I always did a lot of prayers of repentance. (laughs) And, and what does an 11-year-old have to pray for repentance, you know, like chewing gum in church or something like that? But I don't know. My, my earliest prayers that I would, ask, I would ask God for, His help, His grace, His mercy, was forgiveness. And I learned how to confess my faults to the Lord at a young age. I learned how to be humble before Him. I learned how to... I guess, as it were, lower myself in his presence. And that is very important, but you can't... That's a part of getting the Holy Ghost, but you're not going to get the Holy Ghost doing that. It's a part of it. Rather, you receive the Holy Spirit when faith comes, when true worship and praise comes unto the Lord. And on that night, it was a Saturday night, January 29th, 1994, I came to the altar all on my own. All on my own. It used to be I'd wait for everybody else to come, but I think I was the first to hit the altar that night. And it used to be everybody would gather around and try to pray for the pastor's son. I don't don't know. Everybody just always tried to cast the devil out of the the pastor's son. I don't know, but my church just uh, loves me. They were so sweet to me when I was a kid, and I think just people just, uh, just wanted to show love 
affection for, uh, for me in the presence of God and would just pray for me and travail for me. And I appreciated that so much still due to this day. But that night I was all on my own and I came forward and for the first time in my life, I worshipped Jesus. I just worshipped him. In that moment, he truly became Lord to me. It was like I had the revelation of the mighty God in Christ at that moment. And I just worshipped and praised the Lord. And I had heaven on my mind. I just believed it was real. I believed everything I'd heard growing up was real. I believed it was, everything was real and true. At that moment, instead of just speaking words that I knew in English, all of a sudden I just spoke out a long phrase in a language I did not know. And I remember stopping and looking down at the ground. And I thought, that's it. It's real. And I spoke and did it again. And I was so excited. I took off running around that church. And I've been running and talking in tongues ever since then. And I just want to give you guys a word this week about something that I think is very deep and very profound, and if you will add it to your spiritual skills, you will not only be a a tongue-talking, Holy Ghost-filled believer, but you will see profound answers to prayer, not so much to your needs and your heart's desires, but rather spiritual empowerment, spiritual gifts, and spiritual experiences. And that is just simply this idea of when you pray, pray to God as if he already knows what you're talking about. You don't have to use vain repetitions. You don't have to repeat yourself over and over and over in hopes that God would hear you. Because that's what I would do as a kid. God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. I remember CLC came through there in the early 90s. And I remember Darren Sargent was a part of the choir. And so was um, uh, Tim Gaddy. And they were both there, and both of those men were praying for me. I'll never forget it. And I've, I've talked to them about it to this day. They're both praying for me to receive the Holy Ghost. They, I, yeah, I'll just never forget that. Uh, but I, it was during those years I was learning to pray. I remember Tim Gaddy saying, you're already forgiven. You're already forgiven, Justin. <laughs> but I didn't know what else to pray. Well, it took a, a year or so later, and I finally believed I was forgiven and started praising the Lord and got the Holy Ghost. But uh, Brother Gaddy's right. You are forgiven. Just worship him. So based upon what I learned in my experience, I'm going to give it to you today and things I've learned, and that is talk to God as if he already knows what you need. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 7, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Hmm. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of, before you ask him. We're living in a day of, um, it's like prayer aphasia. If that's how you say it, aphasia. I've never used that word in my vocabulary, but I'm trying to extend uh, my wordings and usage. I think it's aphasia, and it simply means unable to uh, formulate sentences. If I'm wrong on the pronunciation of that, somebody uh, please uh, set me straight, send me, contact me or something. But I think it's called aphasia. It's people who, talking to them, they normally talk great. They talk great. They're, they're able to carry on a very nice conversation. They're very uh, delightful. But when it comes to prayer, it's like they can't even put two sentences together. Uh, so what do they do? These people that don't know how to pray, don't know how to talk to God, they get a holy tone in their voice. 
And they like to repeat things over and over and over again. A common one is, oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Yes. Oh, God. And repeat that 70 times over and over and over again. It sounds a lot to me like, you know how these athletes talk when they're being questioned by the press? They just sort of mumble. They lose a game and they say, man, man we're playing the ball and we went down the court and and was well, you know, hard and you were like, what? What did he say? <laughs> what did he say? And they almost look frustrated. A lot of these athletes, because they can't express what they're feeling, they can't express what they're thinking. Because human beings, we think in words, we act in words, and when you don't have words to express how to, how to speak, you get frustrated. And maybe that's why a lot of them live such crazy lives. I don't, I don't know, but even. Not even just athletes, but guys uh, and girls, but mostly guys I, I see, talk to that have a hard time talking. They're frustrated. Very frustrated. Very deal with a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, guilt, and shame. And a lot of them, they just don't know how to talk to get that out of you. And I think talking, to be human is essentially being able to communicate, to be able to talk. And Jesus expressed a lot of this idea to his disciples about prayer, that when you talk to God, you need to have something to say. You need to be very diligent in the words that you use. And he said, do not pray like the heathen or the, the outside sinners, the pagans, those who practice uh, false religions. He said, do not pray like them. They're very hypocritical. He said, they pray the way they do all their loud speaking, all their repetitions, thinking that they will be heard. But in all reality, that is not the type of way that God wants to be spoken to. You know, I've heard people say it before in Pentecost, even some friends of mine, just brag. I pray an hour a day. I pray an hour a day. As if hours like the magical time to have some good prayer. Hour a day is what God demands. Hour a day is what God wants. And I've been around people like that. I've been in them prayer meetings that are hour-long, them hour-long people. You know what they do? They like to repeat themselves. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, oh, God. Yes, yes. Hallelujah. Yes, yes. For an hour. That's all that's, that's, all that's said is, oh, God, yes, hallelujah. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it the way Jesus said don't do. You're not getting any of your needs answered. It's no wonder a lot of churches aren't having miracles. Yeah, they're, they're, they're fasting, they're consecrated, they're having lots of church, but their prayers are probably wrong. Healings don't happen when you cry out, oh God. Miracles don't happen when you cry out, oh God. People don't get the Holy Ghost when all they're crying out is, oh God. It doesn't happen. You're praying in the same manner as the heathens would. You know, you study the history on how the Romans prayed. Oof. It's something. See, the Romans had a different concept, a different idea of what pleased the gods. They didn't just believe in God. They believed in gods. Very paganistic. Many gods. They believed the ultimate way to get the attention of the gods was not through your character or your lifestyle, your individuality. Oh, no. They taught that the gods and goddesses, all they cared about is, did you perform the prayer ritual? 
correctly? Did you do the ritual properly? And if you perform the ritual properly, that is all that mattered. No matter what social class you were, this or that, the other, it was all about the ritual. And I don't want to go into details about this. I usually don't when it comes to darkness. You don't want to know too much about it. Otherwise, you'll attract demons uh, into your life. You really will. Read it in Romans 15. When it comes to things that are good, be extremely wise. When it comes to things that are evil, be very simple. But I'll just say this. What the Romans would do when they prayed to their gods and goddesses, they would stretch out their hands, usually with their palm uh, facing up, but they pointed their fingers down and their palms kind of up. Like the highest thing was the palms. A lot of times they would kiss their palms and kiss their fingers, you know, before the idols. And uh, they, would, they would light up a bunch of incense. Sometimes they would do a sacrifice and pour blood on the altar and, and uh, do some type of uh, other sadistic r- ritual. Uh, usually involved uh, quite a bit of uh, immoral sins. We'll leave it at that. And they would pray things like to the god and goddess, O Zeus, or O uh, Saturn, or O Junus, or O Vesta. May you be well. May you look kindly upon me. I ask that you might grant this request. You know, maybe like, uh, th- may this person fall in love with me, or may I have a baby, or help me resolve this legal matter. And may you know the sincerity of my request by this offering, this incense, or this honey, or this blood, or whatever I'm giving to you that I offer. May it find favor with you. O oh, Junus, O oh, Vesta. May you look favorably upon me. If I've done anything to violate this right, may you receive this incense in expiation of my error. And they would not just pray that once, but about a hundred times, just over and over again with the palms up, the incense going, and praying over and over again, believing that Zeus, Zeus would finally pay attention on the 70th time. (laughs) And it's as if they prayed to to the gods as if they didn't even know that they needed it. Yeah, I'm a dad. I've got young kids. And it is amazing the kind of questions you get when you're driving in the car, such as, are we there yet? Are we there yet? You know, we we pass by their their favorite, uh, like, fast food place. Daddy, can we get fries and ice cream? Daddy, can we get fries and ice cream? Daddy, 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 I'm hungry, daddy. I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. And it's like they think that I don't know that. It's like they think that I can't see the restaurant. It's like they can't think. It's like they think that I don't know that that's already what they're going to ask for. You know? And and some people treat God that way. Now, I don't always know what what my kids want. I don't always know that. Sometimes I do, but most of the time I don't. That's why they repeat themselves over and over and again. You say, no, no. And they're like, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please. No, no, you don't need that. Oh, please, oh, please. God does not want us to approach it that way. That's how little kids approach their parents, and that's how the pagans, the heathens, approach their gods. Our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, is totally different. He already knows what you need. He already knows what you want. So you don't have to repeat yourself a ton of times. It's like when you repeat yourself over and over to God, God's up there thinking, do they really think I can't hear them? Do they think I'm on break? Do they think that I don't care? It's almost like an insult to God to pray to him in the manner that the heathen do. You look at the famous answers to prayer and the miracles that followed in the Bible. Let's just talk about Elijah. 
Okay, when, when it's the showdown between him and the prophets of Baal. They're up there all morning. Baal, Baal, send the fire, send the fire. Baal, Baal, calling upon Baal, 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 send the fire. Over and over and over again, and there's no Baal. And Elijah mocks them because, because of their vain repetitions. What does Elijah do? Digs a big trench, dumps a bunch of water there, just to prove, hey, this isn't an accident. Dumps water all over the sacrifice. There's a big trench. There's just water everywhere. It's in a place where fire really can never happen. Does he call upon God through vain repetitions? Oh, God. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. Fire. Yes. No. Read it. Praise in a complete sentence. (laughs) Speaks to God properly. Speaks to God normally. And... Fire comes down. Mm-hmm. He didn't talk to God as if he was dumb. He didn't talk to God as if he was unknowing. He just simply talked to God like you would to any person. I mean, think about this. Do you have conversations with your friends saying, Oh, friend. Oh, friend. Yes, yes, yes. Friend, friend, friend. Hello, friend. Do you repeat yourself loud over and over and over and over and over again? Look, I get it. If you're having a bad day and you're at a point where you're in a crisis, chaos happened, you, you have nothing to say. Look, I completely understand that. It's very difficult. All you can do is cry. All you can do is groan. And there's Bible for that in the book of Romans. The spirit sometimes groans within us, things that are hard to say. You know, when we don't know what to pray, you let the spirit uh, come upon you. But for the most part, 99% of the time, uh, our hearts aren't broken. It's just a normal day, a day, a good day to pray to God, a good day to ask God to do something. You don't need to, to groan with two or three words over and over again for an hour to get God's attention. It's vain repetitions. And I think maybe the reason why some of you listening to this, you're not seeing prayers answered because you're not praying properly. You're just groaning and using vain repetitions over and over again, and that's why nothing's happening. You're talking to God as if he has no idea what you're talking about. As if God is completely clueless. That's how you're talking to him. You've heard it said by a lot of great preachers, notably Evangelist Lee Stoneking, one of the greatest, that every failure is a prayer failure. And in the context of that statement, it's usually referring to uh, somebody who is taken by a very uh, dark, immoral, indiscretion, right? That's usually what that means. I want to take it a step further. It not only means you know, you're losing your integrity and losing your character with God, uh, stepping off the path of righteousness, yeah, those type of failures, but I'm going to take it a step further. The reason why your prayers are failing and not being answered is because of improper prayer. Improper prayer. Pentecost brought prayer to a whole nother level. For the most part, in the evangelical world, there is literally no prayer in the church. None whatsoever. Uh, People walk in, uh, they get a cup of coffee, say hello to somebody, come in and sit down with their coffee. They have uh, lights and fog going, nothing wrong with that. A few people standing around not knowing what to do. And then finally, some guy comes out with a purple mohawk and says, let's all stand and worship. Let's get our hands up and praise God, all right? 
you know, and gets about half of them really engaged, most of them still staring at the wall like they don't know what they're doing. Uh, Then the pastor comes up and preaches something really cool. And then at the end of it, he's preached a message that has nothing to do with the Bible or nothing to do with God. He preaches, just pray this prayer with me and you'll be saved, all right? Dear God, I'm a sinner. Come into my heart. I give my life to you. Amen. I believe you're born again. And that's it. So people haven't sang. They haven't prayed. It's just all been based upon the, what the platform is doing, and that's about it. But it looks cool. It feels good. you know. And, and then you go home. Pentecost said, we're not going to be that. We're not going to do that. Oh, no. We're going to get prayer back into the hearts and the minds and the mouths of the people. And guess what we did? We got rid of the rituals. Because rituals are not just routines. Rituals are spiritual um, acts. I don't have a definition in front of me. I'm kind of just flowing off the stream of consciousness here. But like written, ingrounded, inframed religious acts that people do in order to find God. And what I have found, and I've done a few of these rituals. I've, I've been to uh, weddings and funerals of churches non-apostolic. Went to a school that was non-apostolic, a place with a lot of routines. And let me tell you, God is lost in a lot of those rituals. I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it's, he is lost because people are focusing on the ritual because that's what pagans do. A lot of pagan methodology still exists in, quote-unquote, Christianity today. A lot of it came out of Rome, all right? It's very ritualistic. They believe that Jesus is fond of perfect rituals. Like Vesta or Junus or, or Saturn or Zeus or uh, Apollo or Athena. Those uh, Roman, those Greco-Roman gods and goddesses, that it's all about the perfect ritual. If you did the ritual perfect, that's how you get God, the gods' attention. Oh, no. We understood by the teachings of Jesus, ritual is nothing. Vain repetitions over and over again don't do anything. I, I used to think this was a joke until I went to my first Catholic funeral. I've never been to an actual Catholic mass, but I've been to a, quite a few Catholic funerals. Uh, very impressive people. And I, I got to admit, I do actually like the statues. <laughs> I don't know. I like little statues of nativity scenes. And I figure, you know, what's not that much difference. But I mean, you walk in, and it's like, bam, a, a, a nine foot tall statue of Mary just looking down at you. And I mean, it looks so real, like it's about to come to life. Just whoo. I mean, and then you got the. the uh, uh, Paul up there and Peter and all these things and a big like castle looking thing and Jesus sitting up on top in a red robe and you know all this stuff it actually is kind of fascinating to look at you know but let me tell you one of the first funerals I went to it had about 50 women sitting over in the corner while everybody's sitting down waiting for it to start and they're they're chanting I guess they're they call it the Hail Mary and they're chanting in a very very monotonous tone of voice that's very creepy sounding. Holy Mary, Mother of God. Da-da-da-da-da. Holy Mary, Mother of God. Holy Mary. Just going on and on and on and on. I mean, I probably sat there and listened to it 200 times before the funeral uh, service began. And I thought, you know, that... <laughs> and, the, and, and they incorporated, you know, the Hail Mary. Then, then, the, then they go into the Our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And just repeating it over and over again, I thought, you know what? You're doing the very thing that Jesus said not to do. The Lord's Prayer was never meant to be a vain repetition, but it turned into a vain repetition 
amongst uh, some, some people that call themselves followers of Christ. God doesn't hear that because it's ritualistic. It's vain, repetitive talking. And that's not how you talk to somebody when you truly want their attention. When you truly want a relationship with them. Now, a ritual looks very clean. It looks very proper. It looks, you know, very well put together. No foolishness. Everybody's in uniform. Everybody's speaking the same thing. But we've realized God doesn't really pay attention to that. It's not how he wants to be talked to. And Pentecost said, no more rituals. Instead, we, s- <laughs> we said, just let it go and just say whatever you feel. And a lot of our prayers and the way we did it, the way we acted, it really did look quite hideous. It really was nothing beautiful. There really was no order to it, perhaps you could say. I mean, I mean there is. It's not like out of, totally out of control. But now, if you like how to control church, study Azusa Street. Man. No order of service. You walk in, everybody starts screaming and hollering and talking in tongues. And when it dies down, somebody starts singing an old hymn and everybody kind of joins in. Once the hymn's done, you clap your hands and praise and worship a little bit more. Let it die down. Wait for somebody to speak, you know, and somebody off in the corner starts hollering a prophecy. (laughs) I mean, they did that all day. I like prayer meetings that are like that, but worship services probably not do that. But we realized in doing all these things that we cut out the ritual and God started answering prayer once again. We said, no more ritual. We're going to have a relationship with the Lord. We're going to have a relationship. God likes us to cry. He loves our tears. Amen. He loves us pouring out our hearts to him, what we're truly thinking and what we're truly feeling. And a lot of times, you know, the things that we're speaking, we have to cover our face or go into our closet, as it were, because if somebody else heard our petitions, we would be embarrassed. We said, no longer are we going to chant over and over. We're not going to repeat Uh, the same thing 50 times. Oh, no, but instead we're going to say 50 things and do it only one time, like Elijah did. And that's how the fire is going to come down from heaven. Hmm. That's how we started praying. That's how we did it. So, I've totally revamped my prayer time about five, six, seven years ago. I used to be the hour-a-day type guy. And I got married and... (laughs) We found out we were expecting, and the baby came, more responsibility came. A lot of days, don't have an hour. It's plain and simple. Don't have an hour. But I realized, after doing prayers like um, the tabernacle prayer, and really breaking down the Lord's Prayer, and the prayer of Jabez, and some of the prayers of the Psalms, and even some of uh, Samson's prayer, and, and Solomon's prayer, and some of the prayers of the New Testament, I realized I would pray them and know I prayed them very well and know I did them very good and articulated it very well and knew I could feel God in the room. I'd look down at my clock and I realized, wow, I'm only praying about 20 minutes. And I did my own like little experiment. I, I went through all the prayers, major prayers of the Bible, you know, the tabernacle and the Lord's Prayer, Jabez, all of them. And I just, you know, and I wouldn't worry about the clock. I think the best prayer you're ever going to do is when you're not worried about the clock, but Listeners, I'm telling you, I would just pray them. I would look down at my clock. And in every instance, it would be around 20 minutes. 20 minutes of great prayer. And I I even studied this even in depth. You know the priest, whenever they would pray their morning and evening prayers at the rising of the sun and the going down of the same, praying the the prayers unto the Lord? You know what they'd do? They'd stand on the hill, wait for the sun to, to break the horizon. And once it started, they would begin their prayers. And as soon as that sun was completely above the horizon, they would stop. 
Have you ever timed a sunrise from the time the top of the sun breaks the horizon to the time it, it fully is up and over the horizon at the bottom? You know what it comes out to? 20 minutes. Same way with a sunset. They're 20 minutes. It just goes really quick. And I, <laughs> and I know it says the, the apostles went up to the temple at the hour of prayer. You know what? It doesn't say they went up there for an hour of prayer. It just simply means the hour of prayer. You know, your church service probably starts on Sunday at 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. It's like saying the hour of worship. Well, most of us don't just have an hour of worship. Pentecost, we have like three, three hour worship services. The hour of something just simply means the time of it. The time of it doesn't mean an hour. It just simply means the hour of it. But I, I'm just telling you, 20 minutes of hard prayer is where it's at. I remember when I first introduced this idea, I could feel some of the blowback from some, from some hour-long people, you know? And I've prayed with a lot of them. You know what they are? The type of people, the oh God, oh God, oh God people. If you're an oh God person for an hour, take out the oh gods and you, take out the oh gods and don't say them and just pray other things. You're, it's going to get cut down to 20 minutes. That's why, that's why my prayer time is only 20 minutes because I don't oh God in the corner. <laughs> for the other 40 minutes, I like to get to the point. I do, I do it on this podcast. Not a whole lot of preliminaries. Get right to the point. And I'm that way when I preach, too. I, I, I don't ha- have a lot of uh, you know, pre-service f- flatteries, small talk. I just get to the point. Just get to the point with God. He already knows what's on your mind. You don't have to repeat yourself over and over. You can just say it once and have faith and trust that he heard you and trust that he'll answer you and then move on. I don't have time to repeat myself a hundred times for all my needs because I got a lot of needs. I don't just take one need to the Lord and repeat it 50 times. Oh no, I usually got about 50 needs and I just repeat them one time. And that's how I'm getting answered prayer. That's how I got the Holy Ghost. That's how my tongues changed uh, in my late teen years. That's how I got called to preach. That's how I got called into deeper ministries. That's how I've seen angels. That's how I've had deep interactions with God and visions and dreams and seen wonders and signs. It's because I quit repeating myself. It's because I started talking to God as if He already knows everything. I started talking to God as if He was God. And in just praying as Jesus taught us to pray, to not pray to be seen, to not think God's going to hear you because you know how to talk a lot for a long time. It's not using chanting and vain repetitions as the heathen do. Oh no, but when you address God as Father. (laughs) A lot of people can't even do that. He's the big guy upstairs, the old man. Ah, God ain't going to listen to you. It is only until you can say, I came from you, Lord. You gave me new birth, not by the will of mankind, but through your will. You birthed me. You gave me existence into your kingdom. You are my father. Hey, man, you'll take great care of me. Hey, man, you'll make food for me. (laughs) You'll clothe me. You'll prepare me. You'll give me a great education. You'll save things for me. You'll make me ready. Hallelujah. Mm. And then you start going into the beauty of his kingdom, how it's greater than any kingdom you've ever been a part of. 
and you invoke the will of God into your life, and then you ask him for his bread, you ask him, amen, to forgive you and to help him help you forgive others, to lead you away from temptation, don't be led into an evil place, and then declare that the kingdom belongs to him, the glory, the power forever. You start praying things like that, whole stuff will happen. I'm telling you. That is what made the apostolic Pentecostal movement so powerful. We quit repeating ourselves in prayer. We quit chanting in prayer. And we started saying, you know what? We're going to pray from the heart. We're not going to pray what is memorized. We're not going to make this like a test. We're going to make this like a true, real, raw conversation. It is not going to be plastic. It is not going to be artificial. But it is going to be legit from the heart, from the spirit prayer. Because that's how God wants to talk to us. God wasn't, doesn't want to be scripted when he talks to us. He doesn't want to be like a robot. He wants you to feel his heart. He wants you to feel his heartfelt words. That's how you pray to a God that already knows what you need. I'm Justin Gleason. Let's get back to prayer the way that it's meant to be. get to some headlines and hot coffee. I like to read the news while I drink coffee. Okay. Rumors of war. Hmm. Russia and Ukraine. And China and Taiwan. Yeah. Big rumors going on in Eastern Europe and uh, Eastern China. Or you could say Western Russia and Eastern China. Hmm. A lot of ideas about this. Some are saying that Biden's interest in Ukraine, which I don't know. Do we have any global security interest in Ukraine? I don't think so. I'm not an expert in this stuff, but I don't see any. When I hear Ukraine, you know, I think of Hunter. <laughs> and that may be the reason why. And I know Hunter has a lot to do with this administration because I just believe in signs in the heavens and the earth. When... Biden was elected a few nights before the election. Do you remember what was up in the sky? It was on a Saturday or Sunday night that for like a week, a hunter's moon. Remember that? When I saw that, I told, I told a few people, I said, I, I'm sorry to report it, but Biden's getting elected. This is the sign, the hunter moon. Hunter, his son. Sure enough, it happened. Uh, you remember when Trump was elected? What, what was in the sky? A big, full, super moon. When was Obama elected? There was a crescent moon with a star by it. Looked like a Muslim flag. That was what he was elected under. I believe the sky does things when uh, world leaders are elected. What? You don't believe me? What about the wise men? They came to see who was born king of the Jews. And what did they see? A star. (laughs) Yeah. I'm telling the sky will send a message at who is going to be born, who is going to be elected, who is going to be chosen. You know, when Jesus returns, they're going to look to the sky and see the sign of the coming of the Son of Man. The sky's going to do strange things when Jesus comes. That's just how it is. That's how it is. May, this, so this, this uh, rumor of war may have something to do with uh, Hunter over there in Ukraine. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. But apparently, uh, Russia 
and China are both ready to go. They've got the weapons and the manpower ready to go to seize uh, those old territories that they want back. Uh, China, you know, during the Obama administration, there was a lot of talk about the problems of Russia. I've never believed Russia was a problem. It used to be. Nowadays, not anymore. You You know, the Kremlin is actually a nationalist. He won't go along with globalization. You know, socially, he's actually pretty conservative. He doesn't roll with a lot of this LGBTQ stuff in uh, the, the public schools, public education. He doesn't. Look it up. Okay, I know he's KGB. All right, whatever. Let's talk about here and now. I just don't think he's a problem. I think he's a problem for the globalist. That's why they don't like him. Okay, really what I'm concerned about is the rumors of wars with uh, the wars that are being fought without weapons. And that's the war on the uh, church and the free world. And it's being done, as the angel told Daniel, done through the changing of times and laws. Changing of times and laws, or the changing of culture and legislation. Meaning laws and culture are going to change so that the people of God, what they do in their practices, look evil. Like Daniel, praying to, praying to his God became illegal. That's why he was thrown in a lion's den. And that's what's trying to be pushed right now. And they're not doing it through prayer although they tried, you know, take prayers out of schools and stuff. But now, it's through cultural appropriation. Like LGBTQ stuff. It's, re- it's really an attack on the family, is what it is. A lot of false witness uh, of racial grievance. I mean, there's groups out there that are making calls to eliminate the church and the Bible because it's racist. Right? That's really the major war right now that's happening and moving into place and changing a lot of minds of the people uh, against us, getting ready and set to uh, uh, set up the kingdom for the beast. That's really the war that you and I need to be a part of. I believe in dwelling peaceably with all men. I I believe in in, uh, being a patriot. You want to do all that. And I'm not out there to cram anything down anybody's throat, so don't do that to us. Let's all get along. Uh, the religious and the heathen need to get along. That's what I think needs to happen, okay? So, but if this, uh, these rumors of war with Russia and Ukraine and China and Taiwan uh, are, are meant to be a distraction for something, I don't know. You know. God's in control. We'll see what happens. But uh, I can't, it's some wars, I get it. I understand it. You know, we got the World War I uh, Museum here in Kansas City. If you're ever in town, stop by and see it. It's, it's something to behold. Never before has there ever been a war started over, over nothing. It, it was over egos bet- between uh, monarchies. And so many lost their lives over it. It's, it's just sad, but it changed the world. Changed the world, it sure did. And, and war sometimes does that. It's a part of the prophetic pattern and calendar for the rise and fall of nations as, as God has determined. It just is. Okay. Famed psychologist Jordan Peterson hmm, tells Joe Cusson, excuse me, Joe Rogan, why the Bible is way more true than just true. Well, this is interesting. Famed psychologist Jordan Peterson spoke about the importance of the Bible as the centerpiece of ideas, noting it was essentially the first book and that it served as the basis on which other cultural knowledge was built. Hmm. 
He says, Peterson says, now in many ways the first book was the Bible. For a while, literally, there was only one book. Peterson told popular podcast host Joe Rogan, before it was the Bible, it was scrolls and writing on papyrus. A famous author and psychologist noted that most other books were thus birthed from the Bible, which he described as a robust collection of texts. Man, I've always liked Jordan Peterson. He just seems like a, a, a reasonable man, and he seems to be a major force of good uh, in, in the um, public mainstream internet media. And uh, I've noticed in the past year and a half, him and, and even his daughter, Michaela, uh, are starting to, to turn to religion, turn to Christianity, turn into faith. That's <laughs> pretty big, you know, for a psychologist to do and somebody like her. I think they're just figuring it out. The Bible is right and everybody else is wrong. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. Uh, there is no greater work of literary beauty than the Holy Bible. And it has influenced. So many other writings and so other minds and people. It's still the number one sold book in the world to this day. So see, not all psychologists are nuts. Not all of them are insane, trying to project their insanity on others. Peterson has got some good answers, especially uh, insight for uh, guys who are trying to become men. Didn't have fathers, didn't have very good mothers, and just don't know how to function as a male human being. He's got some great insight on getting a job, getting married, being a dad, stuff like that. And, and how to do something meaningful. I like it. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's definitely saying good things. Not the full truth, not the complete truth, but definitely headed in the right direction about the Bible. I'm glad he's saying it, especially on a podcast like that. I mean, the Ro- po- Joe Rogan podcast, that's for uh, pot-smoking hippies. That's for uh, psychedelics, right? But I think Rogan is starting to see the phoniness of a lot of the left. He sure is. You know, people are waking up. And COVID has done that. COVID has caused a lot of people who were closed off to God and closed off to a lot of uh, prophecy about what governments and powers are going to do. But some of them are really uh, seeing it. Yeah. Yep, the Bible, it is the backbone of direction for those who seek truth. It has been for centuries. This Bible, not just the words of men, but it is the word of God. Let's get to some listener responses. Thank you to my loyal listeners who write in to me uh, and tell me what they think and their questions. I love feedback. Absolutely love it. Doland says, Hey, Brother Gleason, I've been listening to your podcast for around two weeks now, and I absolutely love it. I usually listen to it during school, and it's hard for me not to want to break out in tongues. Come on. Sometimes, LOL. I'll, uh, yeah, some, I speak out in tongues sometimes, LOL. Keep up the good work. God is using you. Dude, uh, I wish I had podcasts to listen to while I was in school. I was a 90s kid. Uh, we had Discmen. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, I did bring it at the school sometimes. Very difficult to conceal, you know? You got the big Discman in the, in the pocket. You, you know, you run the cord up uh, through your shirt up into your ear. And yeah, I'd bring a, a preaching CDs, music CDs, and try to listen to them. And yeah, you get it taken away. You just have to listen to it at night. Uh, let's talk about, okay, bursting out in tongues in public. Um, dude, I feel you. I'd, I'd, I'd love to do that. But you got to understand, when it comes to tongues, everything needs to be done decent. 
and in order, not out of control. It needs to be done decent and in order. The Bible says, let your moderation be known unto all men as well. So yeah, uh, I believe in public tongues, but bursting out, making a big scene, drawing attention to yourself, uh, uh, that's going to cause more horrible Pentecostal stereotypes, and we already have enough. We don't need any more. Okay. So I think in the eyes of the public, prayer is good as long as it's not a disturbance to peace or a major distraction. I just don't like it when we draw attention to ourselves. I don't even like it in church. I, I don't understand that, why people, they, they just are that way. They, they come in and sit down, they're loud, the way they move, they just draw so much attention to themselves, and, and it's difficult for people to keep their attention upward on the Lord, right? I mean, Christianity, I think, sh- should not be drawing attention to itself. But you look at like other religions, like uh, Muslims, get out a big old prayer rug, poke their rear up in the air, start calling out real loud these memorized prayers. Uh, and, and people that are around it, I mean, their toes are curling in their shoes listening and watching that. It's just so distracting. Okay, so you know what I think when you pray in public, and I do this, you know where I go? I stand and face a wall. I stand and face a wall and I pray in whispers in public. I don't kneel down, I don't lay out prostrate, I don't scream and wail. I just stand quietly. Either that or where I'm sitting, I just kind of bow my head. You know, I do that in restaurants. I don't, I, don't, I don't make a big scene when I pray over my food. I keep a normal tone of voice. That's how God wants to be talked to, by the way. Yeah, people may know what I'm doing, but it won't draw attention to myself. It won't annoy them. So prayer is not meant to be done to be seen of men, but of God. So pray, hold your peace, do that in public. Talk in tongues in your whispers. God will still hear it. And, and, and you won't cause a scene. It'll it'll be good. Great comments, great questions. Joe wrote to me and said, Your podcast is deep, profound, challenging, and is such a blessing to me and my wife. We both listened to it, and we love the recent episode about having children. It brought us to tears. We currently have two children, and we are believing God for another. Conception has not come easy for us. Thanks for putting these... Awesome and very beneficial to the Body of Christ podcast episodes together. You have ministered to us, especially my wife. Hmm. Uh, Joe, you mentioned tears. Tears are a good sign. Very, very good. I I believe in tears. Gotta have them. Gotta do them. Um, You know, the psalmist says God numbers our tears in a bottle. God numbers our tears. Keeps them like in, in a heavenly spiritual bottle they turn into an actual spiritual thing in heaven and, and there's heavenly a heavenly technology a bottle some type of storage device in heaven and he numbers our tears you notice he doesn't number our hand claps or our hand raises but our tears those are counted in heaven and you know I've, it's an old meme I, I think I saw it the other day again you know clouds get full and they rain <laughs> So it's okay when we get full to release our emotions to God through tears. I, I, that's silly, but it, that's very true. I think tears are very powerful. Man, keep crying over that third baby. Keep crying. Conception is not easy for anybody. There's so many complications right now in this world, and I, I, I gave those my theories on that in that episode. We'll take the time to do it now. Man, just cover your conception in prayer. But let me just tell you this, uh, man-to-man, husband-to-husband, don't try to have kids. I don't think it works. I don't believe in it. I think children are not born out of trying, but rather just love. 
love and, and affection and passion for your wife. That's an intimacy. That's that's how children are born in that moment. So, you know, these uh, magazines out there, these books for all these couples to read that are just weird. They're, they're talking about the let's have a baby SEX. That, that's the way the heathens do it. Do not conceive in the manner of the heathens. But when thou enter into thy closet... Oh, God, we're going to just stop right there. <laughs> Whoa, the parallels to prayer <laughs> and a conception. All right, we'll just stop right there. But you, you get the point, man. Yeah, Joe, I, when I read over this this morning, I prayed for you, man. Uh, when this baby... When this baby arrives, uh, name him Justin and send me a picture of him. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Hey, not a bad idea, but hey, man, I love you. Uh, that third baby's coming. We just had our third. Let me tell you, third is great. Having three kids is great. All right, y'all. Thank you so much. We're taking the genre of religion and spirituality to another level. I love the Holy Ghost. I love this podcast. I love the church. I love God, I love the Bible, and I love you. We'll talk to you soon again. (laughs) 